from the Gospel of John. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Well, in the spirit of Lent, and in the spirit of some introspection and some reflection, I'd like to kick us off today with a question. And I want you to actually think about this question. The question is, what brought you to church this morning? What brought you to church this morning? Why are you here? I mean, there's a lot of things we can do in Vero Beach, right? The weather's pretty nice. We could be uh, walking along the beach or golfing or going to brunch and maybe having some bottomless mimosas, right? Uh, you know, wh why are we here? Why are we gathered here this morning? You know, I've been to enough coffee hours uh, here to throw some ideas out there based on some conversations. Uh, are we here because of the music? Are we here because of the liturgy? Is it the preaching? Is it the warmth of our parish, the fact that we're you know, very welcoming and, and um, seek to draw people into community? Or maybe we're not here for any of the particulars of Trinity Episcopal Church. You know, maybe the reason you're here is simply to worship God. Maybe that's the reason we're here. Why come to church? You know, a few years ago, I read an interesting book, and it's just one of those marketing books, uh, by, a, by a man named Simon Sinek, and it's uh, the book's titled uh, Start With Why. Is anybody familiar with this? Start With Why. And in this book, his contention is that every, every endeavor, every institutional endeavor needs to start with this fundamental question. You need to start with your why. Why do you exist? What's your purpose? And then after that, you, that's the inner circle, right? And then after that, you can build on to your how you do that and what it is that you actually do. It's, it's, it's a three, he calls it the golden circle. I think that's a little presumptuous, but you know, it's, it's, it's a circle with three rings, right? What it is you do, how it is you do it, and why it is you do it in the first place. You know, the what, the outer circle, that's the function of an organization, right? The function of our church is to, I already said it, Worship. It's the function of a church. Middle circle. How? How do we do that? Well, these are the particulars, right? In this church, we, we worship uh, through, uh, I would say, excellent music, liturgy, preaching, love for one another. These are all the hows we worship, right? Does everybody make sense? Is that tracking with me so far? And then the inner circle, the why. That's the central question. That's, that's the edifice. That's the cornerstone. Without this cornerstone, the entire edifice crumbles, right? Why? So let me ask you again, what's your why? What's the reason you come to church? You know, in our text for this morning, we're preaching out of the gospel in John, and Jesus addresses this very issue with the Jews. You know, they had gathered at the temple during Passover, and given that Jesus, you know, flips tables and scatters coins and chases out animals with a whip, it's, it's a question he seems to take rather seriously. Would you agree? You know, Jesus doesn't just have bad days or, you know, cranky or anything like that. He's the Lord. He takes it seriously. So, so I want to focus on this question of why, and we're going to do it through three points today. We're going to look at all three circles, right? First circle, and this is our first point. Remember what we are here to do. Second point, remember how God prepares us to do it. And then the third point is, remember why we do it. What we're here to do, how God prepares us to do it, 
and why we do it. So on to our first point. Remember what we are here to do. But we answered that question already, right? Worship. That's the right answer, but the right answer isn't always true, is it? I'm learning this, right? I'm a preschool chaplain here. I've got two young preschool boys, and we've taught them, right? We've drilled it into them to give them the right answer, but sometimes their hearts aren't aligned with the right answer, are they? You know, sometimes please sounds like a demand, doesn't it? Right answer, not the right heart. You know, my boys have learned how to weaponize sorry, right? You've been around kids enough to know, right? Sorry. It's like, buddy, you're, you're kind of missing the point. Good word, like, we're, we're almost there. But, you know, our hearts don't always align with the words that we're saying or for the reason that we do things, right? Uh, scripture speaks about this. It was the prophet Isaiah who recognized, he said, you know, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And the people of Jesus' time were no different than you or I. Uh, they, they, they were no different than you know, having struggle, struggle aligning their hearts, the depth, the fullness of who they are with what they thought they were doing. In our text, as Jesus approaches the temple, the central place of worship, this is what he saw and he heard. Cattle lowing, sheep bleeding, doves flapping around and leaving the kind of mess that only birds can make, obnoxiously loud haggling over prices of animals to sacrifice, and, you know, this, this giant exchange rate set up for coins within the temple walls. And because it was a Jewish festival of Passover, the place was packed. You know, imagine here if we had a pet bazaar in our narthex every Sunday morning, right, or some sort of farmer's market right outside there, and we invited not only all of Vero Beach, but all of Florida to engage in this exchange. Would you be distracted? Do you think? Do you think you kind of lose the purpose, the focus of what you were there to do? It wouldn't be very conducive to worship, would it? And worship is the what, right? The aim of all of this activity. Because it wasn't necessarily the activity itself that set Jesus off. It wasn't necessarily the fact that there were money changers involved or that there were people selling animals involved that set Jesus off. It was where they were. You know, because the money changers, they, were, they had a really important function, right? If you're coming, the, the temple tax was a half shekel. And it's a very specific type of coin. And if you're coming from all over the place, right, different countries, you've got different denominations of money, right? And if you can only pay in one, what do you need? You need a money changer. Would you agree? And as far as the merchants goes, you know, again, if you're traveling 20, 30 days to get to the temple, are you going to really want to haul along your own team of oxen? Or is it easier to just carry a few coins in your pocket? What do you think? So again, these things are practical and they're good. The problem isn't the fact that money changers and merchants exist. It's where they were. You see, they used to be in the Kidron Valley, which was across the way. But for the sake of convenience, for the sake of ease, they were moved over and brought into the temple. You know, with this slight change, because it's a fairly slight change, location of these activities, with this slight change, the function of the temple went from being theocentric, right, that's all about God, to anthropocentric, which is all about who? You and me. Small change. Big change in orientation. And this focus shifted from this idea of going to the temple to have a spiritual connection to God, to reach out to experience God, to spiritual consumerism and convenience. Spiritual consumerism and convenience. And let me tell you, we are not so different, are we? It's something that we have to continually guard against. 
Because the human heart always wants to make God all about us, right? And not us all about God. That's just the way we're wired. This is why we, by the way, guarding against this, why we at this church, we are worshiping, we've started worshiping ad orientum, right, towards the east. That means that there are times when the priest's back is to you. And, and what, the reason for that is it reminds us that the priests are not the actors up on a stage and you're the audience, right? But we're all functioning liturgically because God is the audience of our worship. Does that make sense? It's not that we don't care about you. It's saying, no, we're with you worshiping him. This isn't a stage up here. This is a sanctuary. It's also why, for example, at this church, we will, and again, it sounds like I'm bashing other churches. I don't intend to, but, but I've got to speak this to you. This is why at this church, we will never do a drive-through Ash Wednesday. Right? I mean, you want to talk about consumeristic spirituality. It's based on a McDonald's model, right? Pull up, you know, throw yourself on the mercy of God from the comfort and convenience of your car and be on your way. No. Who's that about? It's also why we, for example, and, and I'm looking at the cameras wherever, wherever they are, um, why we, for example, are wrestling over our live stream and we're having discussions about our live stream. Because if you live in Vero Beach and you're no longer concerned about the coronavirus, if you live in Vero Beach and you're no longer concerned about the coronavirus, there is no reason for you to be sitting on your couch watching TV and pretending that you are attending church. Now again, if you live elsewhere and if you're still concerned, I have complete sympathy for that and empathize with that, and I'm actually really glad that you're joining us on our live stream and being a part of this community in the best way that you can. But we really have to wrestle with this, right? I mean, we've seen televangelists go astray a long time ago. This isn't new. So here's a few more quick examples of spiritual consumerism, because again, like, that's kind of all around us right now. You ready? I'm going to list these quick. Church shopping. You ever hear of that before? It's in the name. Um, evaluating a sermon based on its entertainment value. Did I laugh? Whoops. Um, evaluating a church based solely on its style of music. Treating the tithe as though it's a ticket for admission to a concert or a club membership. It's not what it is. And checking your watch to see if the communal worship of the living God of all creation is running a few minutes too long. Have I stepped on anyone's toes yet? I'm working on it. Yeah, mine too, honestly, mine too. Mine too. I'm just as guilty as anybody else. Because pure God-centered worship is so difficult for us to maintain. It's difficult to come here for the right reasons. And luckily we have a God who understands that and is willing to do something about that for us. Which brings us to our second point. Remember how God prepares us to worship. You know, we spoke about the how of our worship as the church, as the liturgy, music, preaching, love for one another, but how, how, how are we being prepared to engage in that worship? Because I don't know about you, but I don't always wake up ready to start my day prostrating myself before the Lord and seeking His mercy and grace, right? That's not, that's not the condition that my heart's always in. So how does God prepare our hearts? How does he get our hearts moved from thinking about Sunday afternoon football or when is he going to wrap up this sermon and golf or brunch to become focused on what he has gathered us here to do? How does God do that for us? Well, let's look back at our text for a second. Jesus, he approaches the temple and he sees this madness transpiring in the house of worship and what does he do? How does God act? flips tables, doesn't he? 
scatters coins, chases out animals with a whip. Now, before you call PETA and you try to get Jesus canceled, let me just tell you, this wasn't a bull whip. This was a, bull, a whip made of rushes, right? A, a whip made of, um, uh, of plant fiber. Um, but still, it was enough to startle them and to get them moving and to get them out of the temple. And it was enough to call everyone's attention to what was going on right around them, and they were missing it. Enough to, to, to call everyone's attention to, the, to what was going on right around them, to wake them up not only to what they were doing wrong, but what they were missing. You know, one of my wife and I's uh, favorite things to do with our boys is we love to take them to Brevard Zoo. Has anybody ever been there? It's like an hour away. It's a phenomenal place. And as we pack up, my whole intention to spend my Saturday at the zoo is to spend time with who? With the boys, right? Intentional time, being a good dad, you know, loving on them, making everything, you know, about our connection, focusing on them, and, and you know, and, and just try to slow down my life and spend some time with my family. That's the plan, right? But then what happens as soon as I get there? For me, the plan totally changed. You ever been to a theme park, right? It's like, I get a map, and we're on a roll. All right, guys, we've got three hours until lunchtime, an hour and a half before the train starts, and uh, two hours before the first dog show. So if we hit this spot, this spot, this spot, and this spot, at a good clip, we can make it around in time. Let's move, all right? Immediately. That's, how, that's, that's just how I work. It's like, all right, we've got to hit everything because we're here for a day, and let's knock it out. And what happened? My entire focus went away from spending time with my boys to accomplishing tasks and getting things done. It went from being a time of us spending time in community to perfunctory you know, activity where I'm just going through the motions. And every now and then, my, my youngest son, Asher, with his tiny little legs, gives me the biggest blessing in the world because he gets fed up with it and he just plants himself like a tree, and he, he starts his meltdown. You know, and, 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 that, and I could talk about him without his permission because he's two and he'll probably never see this. So if you are, sorry, buddy. Um, but the reality is, when he stops and he begins his meltdown, because we've just been dragging him along as fast as his little legs can go, it's a wake-up call for me, isn't it? It snaps my attention back to the whole reason, the whole purpose that I went there in the first place. You see... There are moments when God, when God in his mercy disrupts our lives, gets our attention, says, wake up, and redraws our focus to the reason that we're here in the first place. You see, it's not always pleasant, is it? In fact, in the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, God disciplines those he loves, and that momentary pain yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now, if you're anything like me, there are times when my table needs flipping over. And sometimes God uses any sort of thing, right? The confrontation of a friend. You ever have that one, a good friend who's willing to tell you the truth? Sometimes God uses the truthful criticism of an enemy. Sometimes God uses a convicting sermon. Sometimes God uses difficult circumstances or any variety of ways to get my attention and snap me back to the reality of my purpose, my telos, what I am created for. Does this happen to any of you? You see, sometimes God will flip over our tables in order to rid us of the distractions and self-interests and the cares and occupations of this life so that our hearts and minds become freed up to worship him, the Lord of all, who gave all for us. And this brings us to our third and final point, right? The what is what we're called to do. It's to worship God, not to be worshipped. 
The how is how God prepares our hearts to engage in that space, but the why. You know, when Jesus saw the merchants and the money changers in the temple, it wasn't just the chaos and the noise that was the problem, but that the whole sacrificial system had been reduced to a casual commercial exchange. The whole sacrificial system, the whole bringing of an animal of your own flock, watching the priest kill the animal in front of you and have the blood pour from the animal on the altar had been reduced to a mere commercial exchange, right? Step right up, give me your coins, you take that animal, you take care of that, and let's move on. Next. You think that misses the point of the sacrificial system? An assembly line? You see, the sacrificial system, the slaughtering of a live animal by a priest, which to our modern sensibilities is so grotesque, was supposed to be anything but casual. It was supposed to be a visceral demonstration, as one could have, that your sins have a cost. They're not free. Your sins and my sins have a cost, and that cost is measured in blood. And if you're not going to pay for it, something or someone else has to. And when you lose sight of that, you lose sight of the impact and the import of your sin and the fact that it separates you from God. You see, the something else, the someone else that would ultimately pay for our sins had just arrived at the scene, hadn't he? He had just arrived at the temple. And you can imagine that to see death and sacrifice and sin treated so casually like a simple commercial exchange might have weighed a little heavily on him especially since the day that he arrives at the temple is Passover, right? The sacrifice of the lamb that pointed towards his ultimate sacrifice. He was the one to die for all the sins. He's the one that bears our guilt and our debt. He is the scapegoat, the sacrificial lamb, upon which all of our sins are cleansed. His own people, as he walks up, into the scene, they had, walks up onto the scene, they had forgotten their why, hadn't they? They had forgotten the fact that God would take on their sins for them and cleanse them. You see, without it, without a why, their worship had become perfunctory and robotic. They they became a lot more focused on what they were supposed to do and the mechanics of how it was supposed to be done. Without it, there was no connection between their heart and their heads, and so the fullness of who they were was not being offered to the fullness of who God is because they had forgotten their why. And so when Jesus, the final sacrificial lamb who's about to pay for their sins, for your sins, and for my sins, arrives at the temple and asserts his rightful authority, because Jesus is the temple, Jesus is the sacrificial lamb, They miss who he is and what he's about to do. He even tells them, right, destroy this temple and I'll build it up in three days. I'm about to die for this and I will be resurrected. And they miss it. So let me encourage you. This doesn't sound very encouraging sermon, right? But let, let me encourage you as we get to this point because this is incredibly important for us. One, God has us. And God will do what is necessary to wake us up and to align us with his cause and his purposes and the fact that you and I have both come here to worship him 
not to have our needs met primarily, but God will meet those needs as we come before him. And let me also encourage you, if your worship has become perfunctory or robotic, if you keep getting hung up on the quality of the sermon or the quality of the music or incense or whatever else, and you miss the reason that we're here in the first place, let me encourage you this week, take some time and reflect on the work of Christ on the cross. It's amazing how all these secondary and tertiary things disappear when you're focused on Christ, when he's the central aspect of your vision. I mean, that's really what Lent is all about. This is the reason that we slow down during this time and we spend some serious time in prayer and reflection. And we spend the time to recognize our need for a Savior. And we fix our eyes on the one who gave all for us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would clear our hearts and minds of all the distractions of the day. Have everywhere our attention seeks to assert itself so that we can avoid an encounter with you. We can avoid going to the depths of our being, which is where you meet us. God, I pray that you would instead draw our hearts upward, lift us up to you so that we can encounter your presence today and that we could recognize it for what it is in its fullness. In your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.